Hello, I'm Sasha. I'm Steven. And this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast where we talk about those aspects of pop culture that are underrated or underseen, underheard, underrepresented, underappreciated. And joining us today is Aaron Fentress. Does it? It has that flourish. Is I like it the yeah, Fentress? That's a, that's a good. That's a good addition. I like that. <laughs> Fentress. Fentress. Yeah. We're very, yeah. It All should right. be an I, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, Aaron is a writer in Los Angeles, correct? Th- that is correct. But there's just more to Aaron, and there's, there's so much more that Aaron couldn't even come up write his own bio. It was too daunting a task. So he, he had to go to other people to ask them to do it for him. So we wanted Aaron to actually share those bios with us. <laughs> yeah. So Such Aaron, nice. tell us about yourself and what happened when you were trying to get your bio out to us. Yeah, so I I couldn't write a bio for myself. I I always feel strange writing in the third person and saying mm-hmm. nice things about myself. I'm much I'm much more comfortable saying mean things about myself. <laughs> Which you in can the, also in do. In the first person. <laughs> Feel free. Rather than the third. Uh, you, you better do it before I do. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so so I, I reached out to my girlfriend and asked her to How far me. do you have to reach out to her? <laughs> well, she's, she's in New York. I scheduled a call with her. Oh, okay. oh wow. She's, she's in New York right now, yeah. All right. Yeah. In my mind... So it was just, a real reach out. It was out. a real reach out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That joke did not land at all. <laughs> no, turns out it was not a joke. <laughs> I just reached across the side of the bed and said, <laughs> honey. So I, I, I asked her this, this morning if she would write me a, a bio. Mm. And so this is the bio that she wrote for oh. me. And what's great is she used my middle initial, so this is, this is good. Aaron W. Fentress... Is a natural born storyteller. He grew up writing and performing for his friends and family and went on to study theater at the University of Evansville. Soon after, Aaron attained a Master of Fine Arts degree with an infinite emphasis in fiction writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts. After dipping his toes in the Pacific Ocean for a few (gasps) years, Aaron chose to head back east to continue to share the words in his heart and on his mind. Oh he lives in Brooklyn, New York with his family. Does he, though? Well, he what? will. But, <laughs> by the time this podcast by the time this comes out, he will live in New York with his family, uh, which is great because it's just me, her, and our dog. So we're the family. That's a family. Um, and then I also asked my mom. Mm. So I, oh I texted her this morning and said, will you write a bio for me? Mm-hmm. And then she sent me this. Born Friday, July 24th, 1954, <laughs> around 7.30 p.m. to John and Martha Nevins in Bloomington Hospital, the fifth child of eventually 10. Wow. And and then she switches uh, a tense here. We lived in a town called Spencer, dirt poor. Daddy worked in Indianapolis all oh week and God. came home most weekends. Moved to Indianapolis September 1960. First day of school at Holy Cross was September 6, 1960. <laughs> Went to Holy Cross all eight years. Here's a start more later. Oh so she was sending a novel. <laughs> well, to be fair, the way you worded it, uh, she, you just said, can you write a bio right, for me? Right. You didn't say a bio of me. Yeah, I yeah, I thought I thought that I was clear, but I was I was not. Uh. We're five minutes into this podcast, and we still haven't mentioned to our listeners what this podcast is really about. Yeah, Aaron, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about my favorite comedian, Stuart Lee. Cool. And by comedian, do you mean stand up? I, I I do mean stand up. Sasha doesn't know. I do mean stand up. I did no research. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm not looking at a two-page document right now that Sasha printed out. You are performing the same service that a lot of the interviewing greats do. Um, Terry Gross. Terry Gross. Um, Jesse... The Body Ventura. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Thorne. Jesse Thorne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ira Glass. I guess he doesn't do interviews. Uh, but he would probably well, do it that way. the beginning way. he does a little bit. He'll talk to oh, people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mark Maron. Yeah. David mind. Letterman. <laughs> David I'm, Letterman, yeah. I stand right there one. in the yeah. pantheon right. of the greatest. Yeah. Mount Rushmore of interviewers. It's going to be... Um, Terry Gross, head Terry in the middle. Gross, yeah. Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. <laughs> right. uh, oh, Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters. Obviously. And then Sasha. <laughs> no Wolf? No. No Wolf. No, wolf doesn't Absolutely he is, he not. Bring it. Shout out to Wolf, who I briefly <laughs> met when I worked at CNN. In wow. Yeah. Do you know his last listening. name or have you he's forgotten listening. it? Blitz. Sir. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> there, the answer is right there. I forgot. Not as interesting of an uh, interaction as I had with Larry King at the time. Oh, boy. Are you allowed to talk about this on mic? I don't see. What are they going to do to me? <laughs> I, I was on the elevator, and Larry King was in the same elevator. He said, uh, how are you doing? And I said, good. He said, that's good. <laughs> that was my interaction with him. Sounds, sounds like it could be either sweet or menacing. It was very, like... Like, he looked into my soul. He was trying to help you. He was trying to give you a lifeline. It was, like, way more intimate than I was prepared to uh, feel. Anyway. Isn't he me too I No, no. no? You, are you thinking of Charlie Rose? No, I know Charlie Rose has been me too but I feel like Larry King is up there. I think Larry I think King is currently un... He, he has <laughs> yet to be canceled. I guess that's how I'll phrase it from now on. All men are in various states of being canceled. And uh, I, right. Larry King so he's has in yet the early to be stages. canceled. He's yeah. been renewed. We can just cancel us. That's fine. <laughs> Should we cancel him right now? We don't have enough women to do it. True. Yeah. Do you want to cancel? I mean, you're the one. No. You're the one who's had an interaction with him. Yeah. No. I. I think he's all right. Like, I don't have any bad feelings. You hear that, Larry? You're safe for now. Back to Aaron. Stuart Lee, <laughs> which is actually, I mean, that's a perfect, like, that's a perfect encapsulation of what of what Stuart Lee would be all about. We're starting with Stuart Lee and then going off on the rails entirely and then somehow making our way back why don't you tell us you know give us a some summation of what Stuart lee is to you and and why you like him so much if you can or love or love i love Stuart Lee. i really great do. i think i think the the best summation that i can give is whenever i say has any have you heard of Stuart lee and people say no and then i can spend the next 20 minutes retelling his bits hmm. that also take 20 minutes then people still say I'm, I'm not gonna watch that that doesn't sound like something for me I'm on a kind of seven-year cycle of being fashionable right um, and it's good that it's so regular because I can plan expensive medical crises around them <laughs> he is a um, British comedian I'm gonna do a potted history of Stuart Lee he's a he's a British comedian who started out um, in the alternative comedy scene in like the 80s and 90s and um he does he does this whole he has this whole talk about how he started but it, it's like um it, back in the day they had sort of working day uh working men's clubs comedians and the alternative comedy scene came out of that to do something that was you know just not racist anymore mm. uh essentially and so he came up in this new sort of comedy boom and things did not go well for him he was making no money he would do um the edinburgh fringe and they 
they just couldn't he couldn't make it work so he quit stand up for a long time so that was in what year he quit i think he quit in like 2001 he quit in like 2000 well he quit in he quit in 99 and uh-huh. then i think he came back in 2001 or 2002 so he felt like he's just not making a living he yeah he couldn't make a living yeah. doing it mm. um and so uh he was part of this comedy group called club zarathustra um which zarathustra is the like jesus of zoroastrianism anyway and they there was a composer there who was writing in opera because he had been watching jerry springer and he said it's just like an opera where it's a bunch of fat people screaming at each other so he wrote the this opera called jerry springer the musical and Stuart lee wrote the second act and then directed it and so he wrote only second act of that i didn't realize that for some reason okay he wrote the second act um and the other guy whose name i don't remember which is unfortunate he wrote the first act, which is sort of the opera act. And then the second act is more of, um, more talky. So the show is essentially Jerry Springer is alive and they're doing the opera. Like it's a normal Jerry Springer show. And then he dies and then he's in hell and he is chosen. He's like anointed by the devil to solve the rift between heaven and hell, but he has to do it as a chat show. And so it's Jerry Springer doing his chat show with like Jesus and like the devil and he's trying to fix heaven and hell. And so it, it did really well on the West End, but they, they again made absolutely no money because they had all these Christians came out against it. It was like 60,000 people. And then- So that really turned people off from coming? The- what ended up happening was they had to go to court for, mm. oh, uh, yeah. for blasphemy laws. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they didn't like the way especially Jesus was, was portrayed in act two. Yeah. So, so he, ends up, he ends up coming back to stand up and then he did, he did a set called 90s Comedian, which no one would film. It, it ran at the Edinburgh Fringe. Nobody would film it. The BBC wouldn't touch it. Hmm. Um, I don't know if ITV was there. So, so far, we're just following the fact that like he cannot make money yeah. by doing what he loves. Yeah. Um, it was upset Christians yeah. who didn't like... He couldn't have been the only person doing this kind of material then, though, right? Like, uh, I mean, maybe he was. It just seems like now, and obviously it's... I think because it, decades it, it, later. it had been so popular mm. that it had such a backlash and like nobody had seen it. Mm. Yeah. So he's also been described as the comedian's comedian and like probably in the way that he is so anti-populist, right? Comedian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's He has this, Stuart Lee plays a character, Stuart Lee, that is kind of like Stuart Lee, but is just a heightened version of him. Mm. And the Stuart Lee that he plays on stage um, does not care what anyone in the audience thinks. He thinks he's much smarter than everyone else. Outspoken liberal hero. Yeah. But on the whole, when, when people say political credits has gone mad, I think, well, what do you, what do you mean? Unless it's my nan, right? And my nan says to me, oh, Stu, that political correctness has gone mad. <laughs> I go, why is that nan? She goes, well... I was in the hairdressers yesterday, Stu, and they said to me, would you like a cup of tea, Mrs. Harris? I said, yes, please. They said, well, you can have one, but you have to drink it in the waiting area because we can't have hot liquids at the workstation. (laughs) It's political correctness gone mad, Stu. (laughs) It's old red robo, Stu. He's saying that we can't have tea anymore. In case it annoys a Pakistani. (laughs) Basically, there's a whole generation of people who've confused political correctness with health and safety legislation. (laughs) 
In, uh, it's gone mad. In, in, you, like they're saying I can't have an electric fire in the bath anymore, Stu. <laughs> He does a lot of meta comedy, so he breaks down what, like, what the joke is. So I started writing this series, right? And I had this idea that each week I'd do a bit where I did a, a bit of stand-up to a weird group of people in an odd place, right? And I'd film it. So first of all, I wrote a set that would work for really little kids, right? And it was about how when I was a kid, my mum said, eat your greens, and I didn't. And I got smaller and smaller, and then I got carried off by a bird, right? Yeah. Now... It's not aimed at you, but they like it, don't they? They like it. The people. Yeah. It's for children, really, but, you know. Imagine me being carried off by a bird. Be hilarious. Help! So, um, especially it was a funny bird, eh? Like a budgie or something. He does some of that in... Uh, so I watch 90s Comedian. Okay. Uh, and he does some of that in there. He, like, splits the audience up into two groups. Yeah. And it is the group that is smart enough to understand his comedy and then the group that is laughing because they see the other half of the audience yeah. laughing. Essentially, most stand-up comedians are doing an exaggerated version of themselves on stage, right? Yeah. But is this... This is more than that. This character of Stuart Lee? Yeah, this is... I mean, I think... I think... I'm going to call him Stu. I think Stu... Stu is the character or Stu is well, he Stuart? Him, Stu, it's both. <laughs> They're both Stuart Lee. He, he sometimes refers to himself as Stu, so I'll call him Stu. Um, I think that there is a, a part of him that sort of agrees with the things that he's saying mm. on stage. As far as I can tell from interviews and and from seeing him, he's he is somewhat removed. Like, he knows he knows what he's doing. Like, the, the, the performer knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. The character Stuart Lee doesn't like he if he's going so down he's presenting badly, himself as like less self-aware than he had, yeah than he the performer actually must be yes exactly yeah there's only two men in my weight watchers group me and an old a polish man in his late 70s and everyone else is women women of all races and creeds and colors and cultures and shapes and sizes it's like a united nations day out to a funfair hall of mirrors <laughs> Which they, they have, actually. They have those. And um, I was in the queue waiting to get weighed. You queue up to get weighed, right? And three in front of me, there's a young Muslim woman, about 25 years old, and she was wearing the hijab. This is the headscarf they wear because there's a, a, an Islamic taboo about men seeing hair. And she turned around to me and she said, I do apologise, but I'm about to get weighed. Would you be so kind as to go out in the corridor? Now, at the time... I mean, obviously, in retrospect, um, it was because she was going to take the headscarf off and I couldn't see her hair, but I didn't make the connection then, and I just thought she didn't want me to see how much weight she'd put on. So so I said, no, I'm not going out. I don't know what you're worried about, love. You're not even that fat. Interesting. Kind of a Larry the Cable Guy situation. A little bit, yeah, where he's... Because, where he, like, with Larry, he's... Dan Whitney is much more intelligent than Larry the Cable Guy. Is. I guess. You know, he has to... He creates that, whereas I think... I mean, I think Stuart Lee, the performer, is is much more intelligent than Stuart Lee, the character, but the character thinks he is the smartest person in the room, always. It's very interesting. I did not get any sense of this. Oh, really? From yeah, what it's I hard. To, it's hard to tell. I guess from just watching one special, you you, yeah. you might not really get it. I listened to Forty First Best Stand Up Ever from two thousand seven. Yeah. Then I also watched one episode from his television show that is 
TV comedy vehicle. Yeah, Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle from 2009. It's yeah. four seasons. I watched the first episode of third season. Sure. So this is a British comedy series created by and starring Stuart Lee and broadcast on BBC Two. And so it features stand-up comedy and sketches. Like in the first two, se- first two seasons, yeah. they have sketches. Like and then, the Chappelle show. Right. Yeah, they He's got the nervous. He's the Dave Chappelle of the UK. Um. <laughs> and then later on, they start, instead of adding the sketches they start doing a short film at the very end of each episode hmm. oh like louis sketches. he's the louis ck of the uk mm. so there's actually a on his website he has what's called plagiarist corner uh-huh. and uh louis ck is on plagiarist corner and it just says uh like the entirety of Stuart lee's career so it just says Stuart lee's career and then says louis ck just took it all that's funny so this was scripted by this comedian and also director of four episodes of veep chris morris Chris Morris is interviewing, sort of interrogating Stuart Lee. Yeah. He's asking very hard questions about comedy. Then it goes to stand-up and then it goes back, so it weaves in and out of those And there's an interesting thing there with the performer that is being interviewed is like much more of like a bigot than than the performer that you're seeing on, like that you're seeing on stage. Like it's almost like there's, there's a bunch of different characters that are sort of interacting mm. in one place. So there's in the first yeah, one, I don't right. There's I don't get any sense of like. I mean, I I don't know if it was the time, but all of the positions that he presents in '90s comedian are reasonable, totally positions. Usually, his best uh, when it gets most absurd is when he's doing a takedown of somebody on the other side. Mm-hmm. But he presents himself as the person that that the right wing would assume all left wing liberals are. Like he's okay. kind of this heightened version of he's, that. Person. He's presenting himself as a stereotype. Yeah. Of, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, like this so-called champagne socialist. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. One. But yeah. I'm just gonna throw right away like a rock sort of in this discussion. Do it. Do it. I found a lot of things that we're discussing here of being very British. And sure. So here's the thing, obviously, about any art, right? It's very u- unique in that it's specific, but it's also very universal. It has universal themes that can be you can respond to as the viewer and audience member from anywhere in the world, right? Mm -hmm. From any position in your life. And so to me, like, especially for the very few times that I, you know, was just getting acquainted with his work, I felt that the specifics of, well, it's inside baseball, you have to know all these references he makes to this type of comedians. And then he makes this, you know, political statements and things like that. They're very specifically rooted in Britain and the UK. And I just felt like disconnected because of that sure. for the first few very like good times. So when you say liberal, I'm also saying like, well, like British liberal, like they have their <laughs> own things going on. And so a lot of times that was sort of like not making me connect with him. Sure. Uh, and uh, he likes that. I think he actually would be really happy to hear that that you're you're not connecting. He he has a he does a, some interviews where he talks about that he he's had times where because he's becoming more well known that the shows are actually going down better than than he wants. And so he, he likes be, the audience he, members to be pushing back. He a, likes pushback. He's like if uh-huh. it's just if it's just you sitting there and you're enjoying it. He has a well. There's Michael McIntyre who's this huge British comedian. Um, he's like a big observational comedy guy and he talks about how uh, he on christmas day whenever this was filmed or the year before like 1.5 million people lined up to get his dvd and he talks about how they're just being spoon-fed his diarrhea because it's just it doesn't it just coming to you like it means nothing it's it's wasteful and so for him he he wants you to like have to be a little bit challenged and have to sit there and sort of deal with what he's talking about and so then part of me wants to be like 
well, why are you so British? Like, I don't care about you, like British freaking <laughs> politics talking. Like, I mean, and well, but he's not. He he is not. He has no aspiration. He does not travel outside the UK. He mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. does his his comedy in the UK. I don't think he's he's done Aspen here, which when he, existed. Yeah, he she did not do well. It did mm. not go down well because nobody nobody understood what he was trying to do. The comedy is totally different because he's doing like an hour. His new his newest is called Content Provider. It's two hours long. You know, you, you don't you don't do stand up for two hours in the United States. You know, you do you do sort of but he's doing like a full piece, you know, each each bit to me he's like and he he would hate this, but he's like a to me he's an artist. He's a performance artist. Mm-hmm. More so than he is a traditional sort of stand up comedian. But that's because in the States, our conception of a stand up comedian is somebody who's telling you jokes and doesn't have necessarily like a theme that goes along with it. Well and I think this explains why like he's so tight with armando ianucci who yeah. probably you know appreciates like if you on his website there's like an early something they did in like the early 90s that was directed by armando ianucci which i thought you would really like because yeah you and love i do and armando ianucci also was instead of chris morris in the aforementioned comedy vehicle the interviewer in the first two seasons yeah. which i did not find for free online so i did not watch it yeah i could mm. i haven't seen it either uh, but he I, says they're I not as a good tough anyway. time finding 90s comedian it's hard yeah it's actually hard to find anything of his yeah beyond like the few most well-known things yeah. which i guess explains why he's a good fit for the show right yeah like, how did you find out of, how'd you get on him i, in I the was first place? i was trying to think about it i think i think i was on reddit and there, somebody posted his bit about pear cider, which is he has this whole long bit about give it to me straight, like a pear cider made from 100% pears. And so I watched that and I was like, this is brilliant. Like, this is so great. The repetition kills me. I just, it's it's such a great bit. You can actually see that one on YouTube. There's It's two parts of that one, but you can see that one on YouTube. His that's use what of callbacks and repetitions yeah. is very masterful. Yeah, the like the second half of 90s Comedian is kind of a long story about him being this drunk experience he had where he saw Jesus. And um, he spends you know like half of this so like a quarter of the special setting that up and then the last quarter is just a lot of sacrilegious payoff to this whole idea of him interacting with jesus and it is built on this repetition of the same phrases over and over again which is really funny and and you know like could also be described as really self-indulgent but so is the art of stand-up comedy sure. i suppose absolutely he definitely takes the self-indulgent slash meta humor slash you know use of callback slash the sort of attacking other comedians like to the next level it's very intricate it's very biting but it's also like very rooted in like who he is in yeah. the sense that it still feels like it's not it's definitely like not welcoming a new person in you know what i mean yeah it's it's very insular yeah very insular and i yeah i don't know like i don't know that to me that's something i responded with well then i don't care you know sure. yeah but then i also like when i listened to 44's best stand-up ever i you know there were some bits that i really loved please tell me i'd love to know so he talks about his mom who spends most of her time making quilts and talking about making quilts <laughs> and then she talks she tells him that she's making a special quilt that's not a quilt it's a quillow and a new kind of quilt she's been making lately. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called a, a quillow. And um, that is a quilt which rolls up into a pillow. 
Although it, it comes with its own unique set of problems, because if you think about it for a relaxing night, uh, you need both... You need both a quill and a pillow. So with the quillow, you either are cold with a comfortable neck or are warm with a kind of backache. And the only solution, of course, is to use two quillows. In many ways, defeats the unique selling property of the quillow, or alternatively, to revert to the traditional quilt-pillow combo. For me, like on a, on a meta sense, it's like a great bit because he's sort of, he's giving you something easy that he's going to break down and he's going to show you like, this is what's about to happen for the rest of the show. So strap in, you know, like he's going to do this again and again and again with things that are not nearly as relatable as a quilt and a pillow and your mom being annoying, you know, mm -hmm. like that everybody, well, not everybody. Not everyone has a mom. Um, Not know, everyone's still, mom would write them a bio of right, themselves. Right, of themselves, yeah. My favorite thing of all Stuart Lee's stuff is the shill bottle, the episode. Oh, the shill bottle, shit bottle so is. That's the one. That is gold. So he, it's, uh, it's in his, it's in the third series. <laughs> They're <laughs> British. <laughs> uh, third series of TV comedy, vehicle, TV comedy vehicle. And it's the first episode and it's the pornography episode. Mm -hmm. He set up sort of this character again, Stuart Lee, that because the internet has made everything so easy that kids today, of course, do not have the sort of creative impulse that they used to have. So like the pornography is just, it's just available. So you don't have to go and seek it out. So you don't have this sort of creative expression. And then sort of intercut is him having with, what's his name? Craig, Craig Morris? Chris Morris. Chris Morris. He's having these discussions about um, his feelings on comedy and also but also about like the internet and stuff like that so um, he just wants internet to be deleted yeah, basically he, the he character says, mm -hmm. the character in the interview says i wish that we could just have a big bomb and blow up the internet and he's like you but what about you know what about all these you know, what about oppressive governments and having sort of uh, these undercurrents of subversive you know the people being able to speak on the internet and he's like yeah but i i, I looked up underwear for my wife once and now I just get followed around by these ads. One, he said, well, I'm sure there's other people that there's probably hundreds of us that have dealt with these underwear ads. And he says, you want to blow up the internet for those hundreds of people? And he's like, yeah, I think, I think people would appreciate that. And then they jump back he in. He does it with straight face. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He seems like he's a complete, you know, he seems like a complete moron, mm -hmm. which, is, which is juxtaposed against this comedian that you're seeing on stage. So he, he's talking about this creative impulse that people have had forever. And he's talking about driving up from London to Edinburgh for like 30 years. And so when he was first starting out, he would get to this town called Shillbottle and they would always change the name, the kids in the town because they were engaging with their environment because there was no internet and they had the creative impulse would change the name from Shillbottle to Shitbottle. But just one strike. Just yeah, just just the just changing the L to a T. On the highway sign. Yeah. So there'll be like, you know, Shillbottle 5 miles, Shillbottle four miles, etc. And so every time he would see it's changed to shit bottle. And first he would be like, huh, funny. Then he'd be like, that's really funny. Then he would just laugh so hard. Then he would start getting annoyed by the sign. Then he would hate it so much and just want to rip their throats. And, and then he would just go back to laughing and enjoying it. Yeah. So he had, he's like, which is basically my career. In that's, how, that's how I do mm -hmm. stand up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So then, so then people are like, well, if you love shit bottle so much, you know, you think shit bottle so great. Well, why don't there's there's a place and I don't remember where it is, but he says there's a place called Crapstone. And he says the only reason I would want to move to Crapstone is so that I could open up a quarry business called Crapstone Crapstone. Well, a bad quarry business. Yeah, yeah. He's like, what's funny <laughs> would be if I had a bad quarry business yeah. at, at Crapstone. <laughs> and then there's another town called Shitterton. Shitterton. And so he wants to open up a fertilizer business that only sells manure in one in ton. One ton. <laughs> he cannot do two. And so then he yeah. has a phone call, a very long phone call, like fake phone call, with a customer who's trying to buy two tons of shit. And he has this like very realistic, like very grounded, like yeah. conversation with this person on the phone. You can really, I mean, it's, you it's know what the brilliant. other person is saying. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you know yeah, and sometimes saying. he holds very long pauses, but you can tell in his face exactly what the other person is saying. <laughs> so it's pretty good acting. Yeah. And then it, it turns into like a whole meta thing. Yeah. Then he starts talking about, he's like, oh, you can hear them laughing. And so then he's telling the person on the phone what he's doing he says oh i'm actually a stand-up comedian at night <laughs> and then he makes a call back it, the guy asked him well what are you going to do with this bit and he said well, i don't really have an in for it i don't feel comfortable with it anymore and then he explains what the end of the bit would be by doing the end of the bit which is a callback to the first line that he had which again it's just so intricate it's exactly like hard, it's hard to, to like it's hard yeah. to talk explain about explain it, it yeah. but he does this callback he does a callback to the end and then it just fades to black like that's the end of the there's no topper joke there's nothing like that it just fades out and that's the end of the episode well there's also the short film where yeah yeah where kids yeah yeah, go and change the shill bottle to shit bottle Mm. but it definitely you know brings us back sort of the callback what you said is that talking about Stuart Lee doesn't make you want to probably check him out you know like when you talk for 20 minutes about Stuart Lee do people really want to run and check him out no because you cannot tell them this guy is so funny. There's a joke he told me. That's interesting. Uh, like I heard this joke. And so people are going to run and watch it. Yeah. This is not the case with him. Yeah, now that I, having now watched that special, hearing you guys talk about it makes me want to watch it. But if I if I had not, would I have been enticed by, by you guys going through that? And yeah, I don't Maybe know. our listeners can put in the comments. Mm-hmm. Do they want to check out Sir sure. Lee? I, yeah, is every time... I get I get very excited about talking about because again no one knows like and I've never met another person that is like comedy or stand like I've never met somebody and been like oh who's your favorite comedian well my favorite is Stuart Lee and like I don't know who, who's uh, who's Stuart mm. Lee I don't know who Stuart Lee is and then I spend the next hour explaining to them who Stuart Lee is so there's some there's some kind of theoretical objections to television uh, and that's all well and good well done to me but um. <laughs> But if I'm honest with you, the real problem I've got with television is it's now coming up to 12 years since they've commissioned anything that I've written. Um. I have a dumb question. Do you in general love British comedy? Or do you like, do you in general associate a lot with British culture? Because how do you even get your way in? You know what I mean? Like for- Oh, with some of the references and stuff? Yeah. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the references do go over my head um but usually through context i can kind of i have a sort of a, an idea of who these people are but i do i do like british comedy i like it's i like the style are you a british comedy expert no i no definitely not definitely so that's not interesting so yeah so you just really respond to like the, the layers and the depth i like the i i 
came up in theater and I've always liked things that are challenging to an audience. Like I've always wanted to sort of break the fourth wall. I've always liked things Sounds that- Sounds like clowning to me. A little bit, yeah, it is a little bit, mm. yeah. Um, and I think he talks about that in 90s Comedian where he saw um, Pueblo clowns, or he saw, well, he went to the Pueblo clowns, but he saw a, a bouffant in um, France. And what he does is he draws a chalk circle before mm-hmm. he starts making the sacrilegious jokes about Jesus um, to protect himself. Because the bouffants in, in France, they, which um, they're clowns, basically, they're French clowns. They would have a day where they would go and they would make fun of different parts of society so you go to the baker and you make fun of the baker you go to the you know whoever the candlestick and whatever and you make fun of them but whenever they would get to the church they would make a circle in the ground to say like this is this is a protected space so they couldn't be harmed for like sacrilege and it's he he considers it this like it's it's a sacred space like a performance space it's like the first sort of performance space that protects him and it doesn't really protect him you know there's no there's no protection he immediately of a undercuts space. it yeah. after he draws the circle but i think he talks about he has a book how i escape my uncertain fate where he talks about he he breaks down three of his stand-up shows and that's one of them and he talks about i don't think i could have done that bit without that sort of theatrical protection that i made for myself because mm. things had been so hard during that period of like the blasphemy trials because it was a it was a you know it was sort of a, a huge rupture in his life that i think ended up making his career better but was sort of very painful at the same time wow this is what happens i overwhelm people with my Stuart lee knowledge <laughs> i thought i had heard of him and maybe i have heard the name you, yeah he's but i definitely had never seen any of his material yeah. before sasha had you no no um so Aaron, have you been able to turn people onto Stuart Lee? No, I haven't turned a single person. <laughs> I haven't turned a person onto Stuart Lee. What, have you not tried? even like family? Or? Well, definitely not my family. No, absolutely not. Your girlfriend? No. The no. dog? No. Well, yeah, she. I force her. She has to watch <laughs> okay. with me. She loves it. That's though. a success. She really laughs. I think you should count that. Uh, yeah, I'll take one. I get one person. But no, I haven't. I can't. I, I Why? talk about him an uncomfortable amount. Why do you think you are not successful do you think people are trying it or do you think people aren't even like trying it out well i think i think most people are not trying it a i think a lot of times maybe it was just with me i'll just speak from my own experience when i say i really love this thing i think you would really love this thing you should check it out they don't people don't don't check it out i don't know why maybe maybe it's because i have strange tastes Stuart lee being part of it or maybe it's just you know i i, I like what i like i'm not interested in, in sort of moving into this this is i don't have time for this i don't know hmm. but i i'm i as a person i like to find things and then send them to other people so you do yeah i like i like to find stuff and be like i think you would really like this you should look into this or i i read this thing i think you should read this thing i don't know if it's my way of connecting with others or what but you very rarely do people um i have to like if i send a song to my girlfriend she's not gonna be happy i said this if i send a song to my girlfriend i have to hound her to listen to it like did you listen to that song i think it's natural resistance i am very resistant to my boyfriend sending sure. me the, any recommendations and i eventually get to them but it takes me a long time i don't know why sasha are you that way with everyone or just jay? i think more so with jay mm. okay mm-hmm it has to do with some weird fucked up like 
you know, <laughs> internally. Absolutely. No, I mean, mm -hmm. it makes sense. I want to bring up something just to break this up about Stuart Lee, that he frequently uses negative reviews on his posters. He does. In order to put off potential audience members who are unlikely to be fans of his comedy style. Yeah, I, I think... Well, if anybody watches it, because I feel like you, you kind of have to watch it because it's it doesn't it's not going to make any sense. But he is kind of off putting if you're not interested, especially if you've seen a little bit of stand up or you've you've seen a little bit of comedy and you go to something and you're expecting you're either. You, I mean, I think I think usually people are expecting probably observational comedy, which he's really put me off of observational comedy from mm -hmm. watching him because it's hard it's hard for me to listen to it now and be like oh yeah i actually don't care about this like this isn't funny to me because it's only because one it's relatable layer, right yeah. it's only one layer like he does the thing of his mom telling him the tom o'connor joke yeah the tom yeah. o'connor which i guess is an older british comedian yeah very popular probably at some supposedly, point supposedly supposedly yeah. <laughs> but his mom is you know by mom's his mom's generation yeah very admired and so she uh, once she retired she was on the cruise and she saw tom o'connor asking an audience member what do they do now my mum saw tom o'connor doing stand-up on a cruise and whenever the subject of stand-up comes up she never stops talking to me about tom o'connor she goes oh he, he was amazing Stu." tom o'connor take your feet off that quilt it's not finished <laughs> he come out Stu. on he's a comic like you he come out Stu, on the cruise tom o'connor and uh, he said to this chap in the front row, what do you do for a living? And the man said that he worked for Esso or Shell, one of them firms, you know. And Tom O'Connor, Stu, he was, oh, he was quick. He was quick-witted. <laughs> he, he said to him, off the top of his head, he said to him, are you a sardine? It was hilarious, Stu. I have remembered it wrong, yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he come out, Stu. <laughs> Tom O'Connor, don't touch those bits of felt because they're cut into the shape of lions. <laughs> and for a jungle scene to go on it. It won't just be... He come out, Stu, on the... Tom O'Connor. Yes, he's not a comic. And uh, he said to this chap, what do you do for a living? And the man said to Stu, he said, I'm in oil. And... <laughs> Tom O'Connor, he was... Oh. He, was, he was quick, Stu. He's quick as a... He's like lightning coming out of a, a dish. And he... Uh, <laughs> He said to him, are you a sardine? He was a, no, he wasn't a sardine, Stu. He was, uh, he was a man. No. That was very funny to me that he makes fun of somebody who, you know, how basically it is hard to talk about, you know, what we are doing now. Like, it's yeah. very hard to talk yeah. about a stand-up comedian. Yeah, to break it down. Jokes. And he, he's, I mean, he does such a great job of breaking down comedy and humor in his stand-up, but also he, he writes about it, like he broke down how he wrote about what he was writing about, why he did what he did. And I think part of it is because he is treating it as uh, one piece. Like it's one, it has a theme to it mm -hmm. in a way that a lot of stand-up doesn't have, it's not thematic in a way. You right, know, it's, yeah. it's one-liners or it's, it's funny observations or whatever it is. 
but might, his stuff has might like be a, a story, but it's like a yeah, ten minute story yeah. with a few punchlines in it. Lee himself wrote a negative review of the show in Time Out, in which he described himself as fat and his performances positively Neanderthal, suggesting a jungle-dwelling pygmy struggling to coax notes out of a clarinet that has fallen from a passing aircraft. So, you know, it's a lot of, like, craftiness. I would describe him as very crafty in his language. I think that's why I, I really gravitate towards you are very crafty with your language i, I appreciate wow. that I, I that's quite a praise I, quite a piece of praise yeah i i'm very sincere i like him so much because of that i really like when things are crafted well mm. and he even though it's crafted it doesn't always feel crafted it feels like it's off the cuff sometimes sure, yeah and sometimes he is improving. like he'll do some audience bits i think that are that are improv and he'll improv different things but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's memorized necessarily it doesn't feel like he's um, written it down and then said it to, like he's saying it to you and I think in a lot of ways sometimes when I watch a stand-up it feels like they're like it's being performative to me mm-hmm. and his is so relaxed and so much ease that I I buy in so much easier Sasha now the time has come for us to question ourselves mm. how do we feel about Stuart Lee this is the part that I'm I'm most interested in <laughs> So what we do in this part, we usually establish a scale for each of us. Okay. We're a 10-point scale where we think of a comedian, for example, for this, that is a 9 or 10 for okay. us. And okay. then we try to compare Sir Lee against that comedian. Sure, sure. I can start. What I was thinking of as I was watching him, this is not what I would put at a 10, but like what I kept thinking of was like Ricky Gervais. And now his comedy... Another, he is also a plagiarist of... Oh, he makes a lot of fun I'm of I'm not Ricky surprised. Gervais. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Gervais tr- tries to do this kind of thing, right? And present this kind of like, I don't care. I'm an atheist. <laughs> you know, that's like his whole personality. Very liberal. I don't, I yeah. don't care and I'm an atheist. But well, with him, sure. it's so... Like, mean. He's a mean And guy. like... So proud of himself in a way that Stuart Lee at least what i watch feels totally different you know like it feels more earnest it feels warm yeah yeah that's a great way to put it and i was really happy about that because when aaron kind of told us a little bit about him and aaron was describing him as you know getting notoriety for this for the sacrilege stuff and oh sure yeah. and i was thinking oh boy we got another ricky we got yeah a, yeah we got a bill maher on our hands here but no he's totally different in a, in a really great way and so now i'm trying to think like what I'm trying to go off of this idea of like the the character, the persona of the stand-up. And what I think about there is someone like maybe Anthony Jeselnik, who, mm. is, who is very joke-focused. Like he is not a, a, a story comic. I mean, a little bit he is, but uh, he's, he's definitely playing it. A version a character on the stage and it's clear that it's a character with with like some differing viewpoints from him but he is also like making a point in some of his material and also maybe rory scovel who also kind of does it presents his material in in the form of a character in some ways i love both of them the, those mm. are two of my favorite stand-up and i really enjoyed 90s comedian i think if jesselnick is like a nine but I think I'd put Stuart Lee at a seven, and that's only having watched one thing. I'm I'm pretty interested in checking out more. I'm so I'm so excited. I'll have two. <laughs> It'll be my dog and, and Steven. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I, I had a good time with it. it. It took me a little while to get on board with it because I wasn't sure, you know, what his thing was, right. you know, what yeah. he was doing. But, yeah, I, I got into it and I had a good time watching. That makes me so happy. <laughs> Sasha, yeah. how about you? I The most recent album I listened to was James Adomian's Low Hanging Fruit, which is probably like a solid eight for me. What's his, I don't, I don't know, what's his deal? James Adomian has... I guess the most notoriety is for like characters that he he does a lot of impressions. He, okay, I think he got really popular for like the Jesse Ventura stuff that he would do and Huel Hauser. He did. He was really big on Comedy Bang Bang when like Scott Ackerman first started doing that show. Oh, all right, okay. I noticed that I love stand up comedy. Usually, come from a non straight white guy perspective totally, for some yeah. reason. Like I very much like Chappelle. No, I love Key and Peele. That's a yeah. ten for me. Yeah. Absolute ten. And um, James Adomian, you know, is a gay dude, and I, I respond to it. And yeah. Stuart Lee's champagne socialist sort of privileged white straight males thing is um, a unique way to describe the very common point of view in stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated his craftiness. I appreciated the sort of like the good heart behind it. Yeah. Like I think he has a good heart. Yeah. And I see that he's a good person. He really means well and he doesn't chase obviously fame and fortune. Mm-hmm. And it just comes through in like his interaction with the audience. And he's really doing it for pure reasons. He does comedy for pure reasons. So like I saw sort of all the noble things about him sure. as I watched his work. And yet I didn't find it extremely funny. So yeah, humor yeah. is a very, obviously, subjective thing. There's no way for me to defend my sense of humor against his. Sure, yeah. But I found him to be way more intellectual than funny. I think that's, like, spot on, totally. I didn't feel, like, I always found myself thinking, wow, how smart, how crafty, you know, the callbacks and sort of just the penmanship of it is very amazing. But I did not find myself for once laughing out loud or having that impulse even, you know, because yeah. it's hard to laugh out loud when you watch something by yourself as opposed to with someone. I watched it by myself. I didn't feel, though, like at all the feeling of like, damn, that was so funny. Like how sometimes it happens when I watch Game Peel, Dave Chappelle, right. or James Sedomian. And so that's why I would put him at six with all respect and with like seeing how good, how much good he brings to the world. I just didn't think that he did the comedy part, which is the most important reason i would watch stand-up comedy for me sure well how about you aaron where would you put stuart lee on a scale (laughs) we created i I mean i feel like i know we all know but we want to hear is he at a 10 it's okay if he is is there someone you would put him in conversation with uh, who is a 10 my my i mean it's it's upsetting because (gasps) one of my favorite comedians for a long time was Louis C.K. And so now I can't listen to him. I can't do it. Yeah, I just can't do it. He is off off the scale now. He did did it to himself. Yeah. And it's individual's choice every time, right? To make that call. Do they still listen to R. Kelly or not? (laughs) uh, And and no, I don't. No. Uh, So so he's off. But uh, my, my, it was him and then uh, Richard Pryor is Mm. my other... 10 and then i would say Stuart lee i mean and they and they're different they're not they're not at all the same but i think i think if if to to make any kind of comparison there is a a pretty clear craftiness to like richard Pryor's work 
and comedian's way, comedian. Yeah, and the, and the way that he like really he he puts his sets together, the way that he weaves the jokes together, the way that he works the room, and the, his ease too. You know, there's there's an ease to to Richard Pryor that that again a lot of times I see and I just I, I don't it doesn't it doesn't make me feel like I'm in safe hands necessarily not that that not that that's important but like a safe performer's hands um, and I feel that way with 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 Rich and with Stu and I mean I don't but like that is also it makes sense that you felt that way with Louis C.K. too because you know his whole thing for such a long yeah. time was like I am showing you who I am inside and and my flaws and yeah. how I'm changing right yeah, yeah. So like he was ex- essentially he was exploiting what you love f- legitimately about yeah. like Pryor and Stuart yeah. Lee. I'm glad he's on Stuart Lee's yeah, <laughs> plagiarism yeah, list. Yeah. Did Stuart Lee have Lucy K on the plagiarism list? Louis C. K. It's it's, it's me too. Stuart Lee, and it says so in his plagiarist corner. It's got uh, Stuart Lee. It's like everything that Stuart Lee has ever done, and then Louis C. K. As if Louis has completely taken his career, which in, in a little bit, I, I think he has, because it's a similar, not similar style, because Louis was a little observationally sometimes, yeah. but, you know, a lot of stuff with his, with his daughters and whatever. But the way that he crafted jokes, the way that he moved through jokes, the way that he interacted with the audience, I, I can see the similarities there. But I don't, I don't think Stu's going to get me too, honestly. I think he's a really, I think he's a good dude. So the he's, time but he's renewed. Yeah, I he's think not he's canceled. Renewed. Yeah, it's good. As far as I'm concerned, too, <laughs> <laughs> renewed. Stephen, is there anything you'd like to mention that caught your attention over the last week that you want people to shut up about and love? Yeah. So um, Hans Zimmer, one of my favorite composers, he gets a lot of flack nowadays because most of the scores that he does for Christopher Nolan movies are very like noisy and Mm -hmm. not so much melodic but he has so many great scores that are melody based anyway you know Hans Zimmer is not an unpopular artist but what I do recommend for people is to watch the 2017 concert film Hans Zimmer live in Prague uh, which I saw in theaters uh, and it's a two-hour concert film it was was, was actually packed because they were doing like one screen. <laughs> so all of the nerds were there to watch this. And it's just him with like his orchestra rocking out to all of his famous melodies and uh, scores. And, you know, if you want to get a taste of it, I recommend uh, Googling Hans Zimmer Pirates Melody. And it's just a video, uh, you know, it's an excerpt of the medley of the Pirates of the Caribbean themes that they would do on the show and it is so good it gets you amped i used to listen to it before going to work to give me some sort of uh, blast of energy yeah i, I recommend hans zimmer live in prague all right i'll watch it sasha do you have one i do i have a television show also british television show comedy show called pulling with Sharon Horgan. People know her from... Catastrophe. Catastrophe. She's a fantastic actress. So or this the show, film Game Night. That's right. She is a fantastic comedy actress. And Pulling is an earlier television show that probably came out 10 or more years ago. I mean, you know, people love Fleabag and people love all these new female characters that are dicks. They're sex positive, body positive, but also mean and evil in some way because it's just fun to watch an anti-hero. 
So Sharon Horgan, her character and her friends are roommates who spend time trying to live the fabulous single life that what single life sounds like when you are not single. In the pilot episode, Sharon Horgan's character is about to be married to her fiance, Carl, and she leaves him almost at the altar. Like she breaks up with him the day before because she realizes during her hen night that she wants to be single. And so she moves in with this two very trashy friends of hers and they just having sex, the most deplorable, just unspeakable, unthinkable man. And the show is just so funny. You can only find it on iTunes. You have to buy it. But give, you, give yourself a favor. Buy the pilot of the show. You'll fall in love with her and with Carl and with other women on the show. And it's just very, very funny show. If you, Especially if you liked Peep Show, this is mm. Peep Show, but with women. I can't wait but to watch it now. Even freaking funnier. I'm one of those people, you give me a recommendation, I'll, I'll probably check it out. So you are the opposite of everyone you give a recommendation to. I'm the opposite of everyone that I give a recommendation to, yeah. I just want everyone to give me recommendations, but they, they don't, because I'm always giving them recommendations that they're not watching. Aaron, like anything a, you'd like to plug? If you, New York should, City, your yeah, dog. Yeah, the city of New York, any social media, if you want, you have a presence online, you want people to follow you. Yeah, I mean, you can find, there's three Aaron Fentresses. And you're all three of them. I'm all Fentress. three of them. There's three sides to Aaron Fentress. I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, the, well, the problem is, is that the other Aaron Fentress is a writer for, uh, for the Oregonian. He's a sports writer. So when you look up Aaron Fentress, he's going to come up for pages and pages and pages. And then there'll be something nice probably about me that my mom wrote. <laughs> yeah, you about can, herself. Yeah, but also. <laughs> exactly about herself, <laughs> about how great it was that she birthed me. <laughs> you can look me up on Instagram, Aaron Fentress. I think it's me and my girlfriend. So there'll be a male and a female. With a white dog. There with a, well, I don't think there's a picture of the dog there, oh, but boy. yeah. Um, you better change it. I'll put the dog in there. <laughs> She's a Westie, so it'll just be her. And then I'm technically on Twitter at Aaron of the Sea. Mm-hmm. And uh, follow Shut Up, I Love It. Mm-hmm. On Twitter and on Facebook. Yeah, and Instagram. Also check out our improv team, direct to video, mm-hmm. at Moving the Arts Theater on Hyperion Avenue in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. Second and fourth Thursday of the month at 9 p.m. Thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for our artwork. Mm, thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for our theme music. Thank you, Jay Hunter, for production support. And, and thank we'll... you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>